to etch in our heart. And to quicken in our spirit how free you have made us. Free from fear. Free from lying thoughts. Free from condemnation. Free from attempts at self-righteousness. Free from fear of failure. Free from worry. Make that real to us. That we would never ever want to go back to the lies and deceptions that we've perpetrated for so long in our own lives. By your spirit, there's no other way for that to be real to us. And we ask you to quicken us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, take your Bible and turn to Galatians. Let me just share something with you. If... If you're going to understand Galatians, you're going to have to read it with the book of Galatians open and the book of Acts open, okay? Because it's not going to have context. It's just going to look like a set of rules or a guideline or a manual completely removed from the context of what he wrote it towards, okay? So you want to look at Galatians. Spend time with it, your mind and heart open to acts as you follow through what's taking place and how it's been realized. Paul made three journeys. His first journey was through the Galatian region. We talked about that before. All of the region that these churches were that he wrote to. There was an area and it consisted of all these churches. His first journey lasted three years, and he went through these regions. The second journey lasted two years. He went to Greece, but he went through Galatia to get there. So he had this first exposure. Remember we talked about last week that Spirit of God had fallen in Jerusalem, and all of these Christians were formed, and they left Jerusalem and went back into their regions, into their cities and their towns. They started churches there. They began to minister there. Paul leaves and he goes back and he visits those. That's his first journey. Second journey, he's on his way to Greece. On the way to Greece, he goes back through Galatia. His second journey lasted two years. Then there's the third journey. This journey lasted five years. He's on his way to Asia Minor. And again, he goes through Greece on his way to Galatia. So he has a continuous exposure to the people in these fellowships and in these churches. Somewhere after the first journey, but before the second journey, 
Paul writes to the churches in this region of Galatia, all right? So he has had a in-depth relationship with these churches. Somewhere in that context, false teachers were raised up. This was their theology. In Acts chapter 15, verses 1, it tells us, all right, go ahead and turn over there so you can kind of follow with me. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. They came down from Judea into Antioch. You'll see that city later on. And here's what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And in verse 5, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, them being Gentiles, and to direct them, being Gentiles, to observe the law of Moses. All right? So that's where these false teachers came from. They came out of Judea. They were jealous of the crowds Paul was was getting, and they began to follow him around and dispute everything he was saying in the towns where he was teaching. He went to Antioch. Sure enough. They showed up in Antioch. David, can you take him out? Can you take him out? Thank you, buddy. A lot of distraction this morning. Somewhere after the first journey, but before the second journey, Paul wrote these letters. Here's what they were saying. It's necessary to circumcise the Gentile and to direct the Gentiles to observe the law of Moses. Now, these churches that Paul wrote to, he had a long-term relationship with each one of them. That's important to understand. It was not a region assigned by some hierarchy for Paul to rule over. I want you to get that because that's common today, all right? It wasn't a region. It wasn't a couple of high art, big shot guys getting together and saying, okay, we got all these churches out here. Somebody needs to be in charge of them. And so Paul looks like a good candidate. Let's send him to be in charge of these. Let's send Peter to be in charge of these. Let's send Barnabas and call them apostles. That's not how it happened. It happened because Paul had relationship with these churches. He was intimate with these churches. He was loved these churches, he had known those churches, he had been persecuted together with them, he had been stoned, he had been suffered with them, and they loved each other. And there was a relationship there. And that's why Paul had the freedom to write these things to him. Now, I don't know about you, when I'm going through a difficult time, the last thing I really need is for somebody to show up with ABC123 to fix my problem. You like that? You like for somebody to come up? Well, let me tell you what you need to do. A, you need to do this. Two, you need to do this. Three, C, and go down the list and give you a list of things that you need to do. What we need during those difficult times is we need someone who can identify with our heart and identify with the pain and the struggle that we're having. It's taken me a long time to understand that, and I am still not very good at it. 
But that's what our heart longs for. We want somebody to walk through it with us. We want someone who's experienced what we've experienced to stand there with us, to encourage us through it. Yes, they might have guidance. Yes, they might have instruction. But we know it comes from a heart of understanding and a heart of love from those guys. And it doesn't come from somebody who has been assigned to be over us. That's a common practice today. We have apostles, we have bishops, we have all these guys, and in many cases, they know nothing about the churches that they've been assigned to be over. Somebody higher up just said, we got all these churches, we've got to put somebody in charge with them. We do it with pastors. Some denominations do it with pastors. Every three years, time to move the pastor, send him to this other place. Listen to him. He's the authority that's there. And there's no relationship there. There's no pain together there. There's no understanding there. And so when Paul is writing these things, he's not writing it as a manual. He's writing it as a love letter who feels what they feel, who understands what they're going through, and is encouraging them to walk through it in their relationship with the Lord. That's important. That breaks that mentality we have about seeing Scripture as just another manual, just another list when in reality, it was a letter that was written. He was the perfect one to write to them concerning what had taken place. And he did so in no uncertain terms. Let's look at this. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, all the brethren and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we try to almost super-spiritualize that greeting. In actuality, what it was, it was a combination of a greeting in Greek culture and a greeting in Hebrew culture. It was a very common in Greek culture when you greet someone, grace to you. And it's still common in Hebrew culture for someone to say, peace to you, shalom to you. And so he just writes, touching the base of anybody that might be there, whether they're Gentile or whether they're Jew. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this false teaching that it was necessary to be circumcised and it was necessary to follow the law of Moses had been refuted by the apostles. Look with me in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, they take that message to Jerusalem and they talk to the apostles about it. And they discussed it and talked about it. James was there and had some comments on it. James, uh, John and Peter had some comments on it. And their conclusion was in verse 19, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them they do abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, and from what is strangled from blood. So they, this issue came up of having to, do this stuff in order to be right with God was not only challenged by Paul, it was challenged by all of the disciples, all of the apostles. And so he wrote with authority. And you see, that's one of the first things that you do 
when you want to discredit someone's teaching, all right? You don't just start with discrediting the teaching. You just start with discrediting the teacher. And that's what these guys were doing. They were calling into question Paul's apostleship. They were calling into question his authority. Who gives you the authority to declare this message? Who gives you the authority to challenge what we're saying, which is you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law? Who gives you the authority to do that? And Paul dresses that. Then he starts in verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Notice the wording. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting. Now, what did these guys come with? They came with a new teaching. They came with a new belief system. Their belief system was that, yes, you've accepted Christ, but in order for you to be righteous, you've got to become like us, you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to follow the law of Moses. So he says, these guys are coming with a whole new teaching, a whole new gospel. Paul didn't say, you are forsaking the teaching you had. He said, you are forsaking him. See the difference? You're forsaking him. You're not forsaking a teaching. You're forsaking him. The word deserting him, not the message, but him. Now, listen, this is important. The gospel Paul preached was not a set of rules. It was not a list of commandments. It was not a group of ordinances. It was not guidelines. It was not principles, it was not a prayer, it was not a plan, it was not a formula, it was not a doctrine, it was not a theological premise. It was Jesus. Period. Relationship with him. It was a relationship with him. That's why Paul said, this thing has not caused you to embrace another teaching. It has caused you to desert Christ for something extraordinary. It was Jesus and a relationship with him. Listen, Paul didn't count all things loss for a doctrine or a belief system. He counted all things loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It was always just about Jesus. Now, you see that word dirt, deserting? That's a military term. It means to change sides. If you desert from an army, you change sides. You're on one side, here's the other side, you're fighting this side, you desert this army, it's considered, even though if you try to stay neutral, even the minute you desert this army, you are identified with the other army. You have taken sides. It means to change sides, meaning to join the other side. What Paul is saying to these guys is, you have changed from a relationship with Christ to a form of belief system. 
where you believe certain things rather than have a relationship. It's not you're exchanging belief systems because Christianity is not a belief system. Christianity is a relationship with Christ. And he says, you are forsaking your relationship with Christ for this belief system, which says you have to be circumcised and you have to be keep the law. The minute we see the gospel as a plan, the minute we see the gospel as a sinner's prayer or a doctrine, we have changed sides. Does that make any sense? Whenever we say, what does it take to get saved, and we whip out a formula, we've just changed sides. What does it take to grow in Christ, and we whip out a plan, we've just changed sides. Because Christianity consists of a relationship with Christ and Christ alone in order for righteousness. This system basically said Christ alone is not enough in order to become right with God. Christ alone is not enough in order to become right with God. In order to be right with God, you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law. Now listen, these false teachers were not saying you must reject Jesus. That's how subtle this is. You you think you would be able to identify a false teaching. You think you would be able to identify a belief system if it came and says, you need to forsake Jesus. You need to deny Christ. Oh, we, we I know that. That's not it. That isn't what they did. What they basically were saying is Christ alone is not adequate. You must add something to Christ in order to be right with God. You want to trust Jesus? That's fine. Keep trusting him. But in order to be right with God, you've got to add circumcision and you've got to keep the law. Paul was having none of that. It was Christ alone and him alone was he sticking with. Now, well, how relevant is that? This practice still exists today. See, today, it's not so much for most of us because most of us come out of a Gentile background rather than a Jewish background. For most of us, it's not keeping the law of Moses. Oh, now we have the Ten Commandments. Well, you have to keep those, you know, and, 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 you know, and the Sabbath, you have to keep that. And, you know, the tithe, you better keep that tithe. And so we add all of these things, and basically what we say is, if you want to be right with God, yes, trust Christ, but you have to do this. So there's not only the law of Moses. There can be the law of Moses. There can be the law of Baptist. There can be the law of Mormon. There can be the law of charismatics. There can be the law of parents. Did your mother or dad ever say to you, man, you want Jesus to love you, you better act right. There's the law being applied to our life. Where did it come from? I didn't need a preacher to tell me that. My mother told me that. See, there's the law. You want to be right with God, you better act up. You don't want to go to hell, you better stay out of those places. 
Yeah, only bad girls do that stuff. And you don't want to be a bad girl. There's the law of good works that says, oh, if I could just get the right stuff down. There's the law of ceremony, which says you have to go through certain procedures in order to become right with God. A law doesn't have to be spelled out in the Old Testament. A law can be anything that I incorporate into my life that has two results. One result is if I fail to keep it, it brings judgment and condemnation on my life. It's law because every religious system has to have a law. That's how we keep people in line. We apply the law to their life. That's the way we control them. And so if there's anything in my life that if I do it or if I don't do it, I feel judged and condemned. You can be assured I feel less right with God. You can be assured I just made that law in my life. Whether it's prayer, whether it's Bible study, whether it's witnessing, whether it's tithing, giving, whatever it is, I can create my own law. And I can say, oh, I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. Okay, how do I have to do that? Well, you have to fast. Okay, I'm going to fast. And we start out with the week and we get through lunch. And, oh, I feel so bad. I just couldn't do it. Law is applied. Judgment is applied. Condemnation is applied. And so we set all of these laws in our own life that say, this, I want to be so right with God. So I set up these things that I do. And the first indication that it's law is when I don't do it, the judgment and condemnation that comes. But there's another way to identify law. One way to identify law is when I don't keep it. Another way to identify law is when I do keep it. When I do keep it, I say, I'm doing pretty good. Man, I tell you what, me and Jesus, we're really trucking. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I've been studying. I feel so much better about myself when I do those things. I've just applied a law to my life. My life, Because one aspect of law is condemnation and judgment. The other aspect of the law is self-righteousness. I have just made myself right with God by praying. I've just made myself more acceptable to God by witnessing. I've just made myself more pleasing to God as a person by doing this particular thing. So law doesn't have to be the Old Testament. Law doesn't have to be Leviticus. It can be anything in our life that I look at and I say, if I do that, I will be more right with God than I am. And if I fail at that, I feel like I'm less right with God than I was. And listen to me, folks. We live swinging back and forth between those all the time. We've got these things when we're doing good, we're right with God and God likes us and, you know, we're dotting all the I's and crosses all, crossing all the T's. But boy, let's miss a T or an I and here comes the judgment and the condemnation. What have we done? We've just added something to my being right with God other than Jesus. I am right with God because of Jesus. End of sentence. I am right with God because of Jesus and nothing else. 
not because of anything else I have ever done or anything else I haven't done or anything else that I need to do. I am right with God. And here's the best definition I know of righteousness. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God, man, any demon, without a sense of inferiority, shame, guilt, or condemnation. Now, if I need to add something to Jesus in order to feel any of those, I've just brought myself under law. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus made me right with God. Nothing else can add to that. I can't get more right than what Jesus made me. And I can't be wrong because of what Jesus was lacking and I need to make up. And Paul challenges that, comes down strong on that. And he says, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ means you didn't have anything to do with it. The grace of Christ means you couldn't add to it. The grace of Christ means circumcision didn't help, keeping the law doesn't help, reading your Bible doesn't help, spending time in the quiet time doesn't help. The only thing that made that right is Jesus and what he did. It's Christ and Christ alone. Paul says, I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting him. Who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another Only there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. You know what the gospel of Christ is? One word. What's the gospel of Christ? One word. Jesus. Jesus. That's the good news. Jesus. Jesus. How did I get right with God? Jesus. How am I kept right with God? Jesus. What do I need to add to Jesus to be more right with God? Nothing. It's just Jesus. And he says, you have forsaken him, and you've substituted a gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. It's a perversion of the gospel that already exists, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you want to distort the gospel of Jesus. But even if we, boy, he didn't mix any bones about it. But even if we or any angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. The word is anathema. It doesn't get any stronger than that. You can't recover from anathema. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, you didn't hear me the first time, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, He is to be accursed. Listen to me. Anytime we embrace something in our life to make us more right with God than Jesus, we begin to operate under a curse and not the blessing of God. That's why so many of us are struggling with the Christian life. We have no idea how free we are. We have no idea how complete Jesus made us. We have no idea how whole he's made us, how free from the rules and the law and the list and all of that stuff he's made me. And I haven't embraced that rightness. And I'm trying to live the Christian life in the blessings of God at the same time walking under a curse that's self-imposed. Wow. Because watch, 
the word deserting there in the Greek there's the pre, it is in the present tense. Now here's what that means. It has not yet been completed. It's still going on. He didn't say you deserted. He said you are deserting. You are in the process of deserting. It's still going on, which indicates it can be stopped. You don't have to follow through with it. You are deserting. You're in that process. It's in the presence tis, and it's in the middle voice. Here's what that means. They themselves are responsible for their actions. This is your choice. Nobody, these false teachers didn't make you do this. These false teachers didn't come in and put this on you. He never even addresses the false teachers except to challenge what they're teaching. He never calls them by name. He never even deals much about it because the decision to embrace that was on them. They had chosen to embrace that. And the same is true with us. Nobody makes us embrace the law. Nobody makes us embrace the rules. Nobody makes us embrace Add to Christ what God has already done. He says, as we've said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. For I am, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul said, I really don't care what these guys think about me. I'm here to tell you about Jesus and hope that you pray that you can embrace the freedom that God has for you in Christ. There is no other gospel. There is no list for the gospel. There are no rules for the gospel. He says the hope, the commandment is summed up in one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is the same, is, is, is like, the, like the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a relationship with Jesus. Some of us are living with fear. Some of us are living with anxiety. Some of us are living with a sense that we just can't measure up. We just can't get it together. That's a strong indication. There's law somewhere in our life that we're not being able to realize and not being fulfilled, filling up. You know how free you are in Christ? This is what Paul says. You are free indeed. That means you're good and free. Good and free. But it is the natural proclivity tendency of fallen man to want to go back to the law, to want to go back to something that lets him feel like he's contributed to this. And there's nothing to contribute. You can't get more right with God. If you've ever met Christ as the Lord of your life, you can't add to that in any way. He has made you as right with God as Jesus was and is. So Paul doesn't mix any, doesn't pull any punches about dealing with this different gospel. And he says it's a relationship with Christ. Now in verse 11, and we're going to take this up next week, Paul defends his ministry. He just says to him, look, you want to know what my qualifications are? Here they are. And he gives them. And he talks about uh, Acts chapter 9 where he encountered the Lord. And so put those two together because that's what he's referring to 
when he says something happened to him. He's referring to Acts chapter 9, what happened there. And if you look at that, you'll get a better understanding of what he's talking about when he goes through here. All right, any questions? Does this make any sense? Kind of got off distracted here this morning. Did we come around? Boy, folks, listen. I, I Listen, I don't know how free we are. I want to know. I want to be free to walk in obedience to Jesus without anything added to it. Amen? All right, anybody else?